It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, you're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking? Welcome back to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and you're listening to, again, Fatman Radio, brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. Thanks for joining tonight. We have a really good show for you, but before we get into that show, and I actually, I actually need to let you know about the show, we'll be talking to Dr. Sky Weintraub, and she has a book called The Parasite Menace. Um, one of the things that I learned when I first got into this health and wellness sphere is there are some simple things that you can do. And one of the things that I think that everyone can do uh, very simply and with the minimal amount of investment is clearing parasites from your body. So tonight we'll be talking about that. But before we do, again, just want to remind you of last week's show. We did a very good show with Dr. Ellen Cutler called Micro Miracles. We talked about enzymes. Enzymes are very important. A lot of us are of age. I don't know how many of you out there are older than I am, but we are of age. And as you age, you tend to lose those enzymes. And we had a a really great time talking about enzymes, how to use them, um, uh, the combination of enzymes and mold, which is something I did not know. So if you're someone who or know someone who is suffering from mold, then you may want to go back and listen to that show. And also, uh, again, something that I did not know that she shared with me is some systemic enzymes and their their uh, relationship or what I will call, uh, yeah, relationships to NSAIDs, non-steroidal uh, anti-inflammatories. So you might want to go back and listen to that show because, again, it was a really good show, really insightful as to enzymes and what you need to know and how they can help you with your, not only your digestion but with other areas as well. So again, tonight we have the Parasite Menace with Dr. Sky Weintraub, and I'm going to read Dr. Weintraub's um, bio here real quick, and then we'll get her on. Dr. Sky Weintraub is a 1988 graduate of the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she received a, a Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine degree. She is licensed in the state of Oregon as a naturopathic physician. Dr. Weintraub has been in medical practice since 1989 and has researched and written books since 1996. Yes, she has quite a few books. Um, She possesses a strong background in holistic health therapies where she specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of food, inhalant, and chemical allergies, as well as parasite infestation, intestinal overgrowth of yeast and bacteria, digestive problems such as irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, and other chronic health concerns. She is trained in the use of homeopathy, nutrition, botanical medicine, and the use of the proper supplements to treat illness. Dr. Weintraub also counsels people on how to achieve ultimate nutrition with a healthy diet and lifestyle. Dr. Sky Weintraub, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Toned Radio. How are you tonight? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Thank you for coming on. I was scanning Amazon one day about parasites and I was like I really want to get someone to come on and talk about parasites because I know maybe about three or four years ago I had a little bout of uh, parasitic uh, infestation or parasitic infection and uh, I cleared those out hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about (laughs) that tonight but your book came up and your book you you wrote uh, quite a while ago but, um, I think it's been 15, I, 16 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and th- these these things are still around, and it seems like now, more than ever, people are starting to wake up. But tell me, this was your first book, am I, am I right by saying No, it? I think, I've oh, okay. lost track, because I've written, I've had seven books published. It's the sixth, I think it's sixth the sixth book. book. 
And normally we write from the aspect of something that we've seen and you are working with clients. Is this one of the things that you saw and that's why you started writing about it? Well, actually, I started my first two years in practice. I pretty much only did allergies, allergy Mm -hmm. testing, allergy treatment. And then finally, after a couple of years, it occurred to me that maybe this wasn't the bottom line, that something was actually triggering this, that there were no labs that were doing good testing. And then all of a sudden, there were some. And I started doing a stool testing and found out that most of the people who had bad allergies had some kind of critter. It might mm-hmm. be a parasite, it might be yeast, it might be bacteria overgrowth, but there was something sitting there. And then when I would get rid of that, their allergies improved tremendously. Okay. Um, looking at the population as a whole, if you had to put a number on the amount of people out there who have parasites, what would that number uh, be in, in a percentage? Well, at this point, it appears that about 80% of people who are diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome have something. It might be bacteria, it might be yeast, it might be a parasite, but it looks like that a majority of people who have these digestive problems have something. So it may not be a parasite, but it's certainly an overgrowth of something that they don't want to have there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty, that's pretty high. Yeah, and that even is. if only a certain percentage is parasites, that's still a lot. Yeah, and if someone has these parasites and they get rid of them, which we'll talk a little bit about later uh, in the interview on how you might go about getting rid of them, is there are they going to notice an instantaneous um, improvement in their symptoms in, in most cases? In most cases. Okay. Okay. Now, I was actually Wait, talking. Can I just can I interject just before we go any yeah, further? Go, go the ahead, problem, ahead. the problem that, and, and this is why I like to test. A lot of people want to treat things without even knowing what they have. And, but what I've learned is because I use a lab that tests for lots of different things, that what happens to a lot of people, if you just treat for parasites and you don't know what you have and you don't get better, then you think, well, the medication's not working or something, but there may be something else sitting there. And so that's what I've learned, that most people don't just have parasites. They often have an overgrowth of yeast or they may have an overgrowth of bacteria. So they might get somewhat better, but unless you know all the different things that are there, sometimes they don't get well. Right. So sorry, I just interrupted on that. But, but. No, go ahead. Go ahead. That's, that's perfectly fine. Um, speaking of testing, what type of testing would you use to, if, to find out if someone has parasites? Well, what I do is I use a lab, like I said, that checks all these different things. It's a three-day stool sample. You want to do at least three stool samples or you're kind of wasting your money because parasites, especially worms, are very difficult to find because they have to shed their eggs. They usually never find the adult worm because it's usually way up high in the intestinal tract. So they have to be able to find the eggs and some worms don't shed them every day. Uh But so those are harder, but things like protozoan or flukes or, or bacteria or yeast are pretty easy to find if you've got a good lab that does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, the fact that when I was coming up, um, my mom always used to say, because I used to eat so much, she used to say, boy, you must have a tapeworm. And then when I got into learning more about parasites, I knew that there weren't just worms. There were also different things out there. Can you go back over those as well? I I know there's tapeworms, but there's a lot of different kinds of worms, and then you have the protozoan, and you have other things as well. Well, there are. There's flatworms, and there's all different kinds of flatworms, and there's there's roundworms, and there's all different kinds of roundworms. But actually, the most often I see is protozoan. And the one that I see the most of the protozoan is Blastocystis hominis. Now, about 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty easy to, to treat. In fact, maybe longer than that, it wasn't even considered a pathogen. A lot of these things have gotten meaner over the years that people had them, had no symptoms, and then something has changed in the environment where now they're causing illness and causing symptoms, and it was pretty easy to get rid of. But what I'm seeing, and I, I would imagine anybody that treats these conditions, is that things are getting harder and harder to treat. It's taking a lot more uh, time, a lot stronger medications to kill some of these things, which is a little right. discouraging. 
It's, why is that? Are they getting immune to it? Because I, I come from a, a background of pharmaceuticals, and I saw antibiotics. And one of the things mm-hmm. with antibiotics was always the resistance. Like bacteria are getting smarter. Are these parasites getting smarter? So that's why they're they, tougher they to kill. They appear to be. They appear to wow. be. And because uh, sometimes with some of these conditions, they're so bad. Sometimes I have to use a pharmaceutical. And it does seem to be that they're getting more and more resistance. But there hasn't been very much research on a lot of the herbal things. We're pretty much having to go by historical information. But there's not a lot of places that are doing research because there's no money in it because you can't patent the herbs. Uh-huh. And so you have to work on what you, you know, what has worked in the past or what there's at least some information on. But it's a little bit more scattered and it's not as quite as reliable. Uh, but there's a few of them that are pretty historical, things like wormwood and, uh, you know, certain things like uh, golden seal that are pretty much established and been around a long time. But, you know, even the herbal stuff, you have to be careful because sometimes the treatment dose can be pretty close to toxicity in order to kill the parasite. So people taking a lot of these things on their own can be a little bit dangerous. Getting back to protozoa, um, and you can correct me on this, and I mean I may be right, I may be wrong, but um, I always thought that protozoa was something that contained in water. And I know I grew up in South Carolina, and we didn't always swim in swimming pools. We swam in lakes. I live in Florida now, and mm-hmm. you might see someone swimming in a lake. Is that a way that you might pick up these protozoa? It is definitely, and here in Oregon, Blastocystis hominis is picked up in some of our most beautiful, pristine lakes. Uh, I've had situations where certain family members went into the water and, and ended up with Blastocystis hominis, and other family members didn't go into the water and didn't get it. So we're pretty sure it's here. And we, mm-hmm. I see that more than Giardia, more than Cryptosporidium, and a lot of the others that used to be more common. It seems like, for, for whatever reason, this Blasto. Uh, cystus is kind of taken over. It's become the weed kind of of the protozoan family. Mm-hmm. Is that the uh, blastocystis? I, I can't remember the last thing. Hominus, yeah. Hominus. We call it, we uh, call it nasty blasty. <laughs> nasty blasty. Um, with the nasty yeah. blasty, is that confined to a certain area? You are in Oregon. Um, am I going to get nasty blasty here in Florida or nasty blasty in Tennessee for a listener who might be out there? I, I don't know the stats on every state, but it seems to be everywhere. Uh, it seems to be worldwide. Mm-hmm. I've had people come back from Europe uh, who got it there, and that's an interesting story in itself because some of the medications and supplements from here don't work on things that they get in other places. If you got it in Australia, uh, they have different protocols. If you get it in uh, Slovakia, uh, often you have to get a medication that's close to that region in order for it to work, which is interesting. So there's definitely, they may have the same genus species name, but there's definitely some variation in them. Yeah. How much does our diet contribute to having parasites? Because one of the things that I've heard, and I had this discussion yesterday, I met up with some people, some health-minded people, and spent a couple of hours with them talking, and one of the topics of conversation yesterday was parasites. And here I am, I'm the only one sitting at the table that eats meat. One person was a fruitarian, they ate fruit all the time. The other two people were, um, you know, more vegan, but Someone who eats meat, are they going to be more susceptible to parasites versus someone who might be vegan or fruitarian? Well, I don't think so. It Mm. doesn't appear that's the factor. Uh, What the factor is is how clean is your food, because a lot of things come in from, you know, other countries. Uh, They use something called night soil where they don't, they're not sterilized. They use fecal matter, uh, Mm -hmm. fertilizers from, you know, that hasn't been sterilized, and they put it on the food, and that food can even be organic food because that is an organic product. And so if you don't wash your food properly, and especially things like watermelon or cantaloupe, but things that have a rind, a lot of people think that they just cut that open with a knife and everything's fine on the inside. But whatever's on that peel is going to come in and contaminate you know, the inside. Uh, so washing your food becomes really important. As far as parasites concerned, there are some things that carry them. There's some fish, and there's certainly foods that carry them, and meat does. But that doesn't mean vegetables don't either. Mm-hmm. Well, so cooking, that's not a safety thing, yeah. 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, is cooking a way to get rid of these parasites if you're cooking your meat? It is. It is. But what okay. I had one of my uh, one patient that was really bad. Uh, she ate sushi out so often that the restaurant where she ate, they actually named the food a dish after her. And, wow. And and see what happens in a lot of these sushi places and things like that. Uh, the fish is raw, or mm-hmm. or sushi fish is raw. And so if it's got a parasite in it, you don't have a chance, you know. But diet does have another uh, factor is that usually the people that I've treated, uh, they're eating too much sugar, too much carbohydrates, because that's really what these organisms want, whether it's, like I said, whether it's bacteria or yeast or a parasite. And they're usually not having good bowel movements. And that, I don't know if that's something you want to talk about on your show, but uh, that's, yeah, what, sure. that's Go what these ahead. things want. <laughs> They want you constipated. They want you uh, full of sugar, and uh, they'll be your friend for life. Mm-hmm. Can they actually call Because I know candida, and I've been in dealing with a little bout of candida, but what I've been doing is I had a guest on the show, and she was talking about turpentine, which I've been using that, and I found that that has pretty good results for me. But um, at one time, I would always crave potato chips and sugary foods. Are these parasites the thing? that are making me crave these types of foods? It, it appears that that's certainly a possibility. Uh, it is a catch-22 because it started probably in the beginning that you were eating those kind of foods anyway, and then mm. once you get the organism, you can't get away from those foods because they want to be fed. You know, it's just like a stray cat. You feed it, and it just stays there. Uh, and then you eat more and more of it, and they grow and they grow, and now you have symptoms, and uh, you can't get off the food because the, the chemical message is coming from the parasite or the yeast or whatever is really dictating what's going on now. Mm-hmm. So you have to uh, kill them. You know, you have to do yeah, something to yeah. kill them to get rid of those symptoms. Yeah. Um, how bad? You've worked with people over a number of years. How bad can it get? I've seen some videos on YouTube. And I'm like, this is not believable. But how bad can it get? How how long can a tapeworm grow? And how bad can an infestation actually be? Well, I don't see it, it quite that bad. I've seen films like in other, especially poor nations where people uh, uh, have bad water and a lot of other uh, more difficult problems. It's probably much worse. The good thing about parasites is a lot of them need an intermediate host. And we don't have them here. So they aren't being transferred quite the way they might be in a third or fourth world country. So I've never seen it so bad that I couldn't treat it, where you had to have surgery or something. Right. Um, Intermediate hosts, explain that to me. Uh, For instance, there's, uh, well, let's say some some parasites have to have a fish or a frog or something uh, another host, they have an original host, maybe something that they have in the water, say even a, a fish. But then they have to have something else before they mature. They go through a life cycle, and so they have more than one host in order to mature to adulthood. And so if you pick something up in some other country and came back here, that parasite, if it got out of you, it would not have that intermediate host. The other problem is that a lot of these parasites are starting to kind of evolve very quickly, and maybe they won't need that intermediate host indefinitely. Hmm. They can go straight from whatever they started from to a human and still be able to survive. But that's been part of our safety is that we don't have some of those hosts here, and so they can't get to maturity and can't get transmitted. But a lot of uh, traditional medicine doesn't even believe that you have these parasites in the first place if you haven't traveled. And so often doctors don't test for it. They don't treat you. They just give you some drug to suppress your symptoms and never realizing that there really is a parasite sitting there. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you think that this should be, especially for people who walk into a um, a clinic, a medical clinic, and now you have a lot of people who are uh, looking at naturopathic physicians, a lot of people are practicing functional medicine, but you have that average person out there who might be st- still going to their medical doctor and they have a digestive ailment. Would you recommend them going in and maybe asking for a parasite a, a test like that? Well, I would, but here's the problem. First of all, they usually don't use the best labs. I mean, the ones that have parasitologists there, 
mm-hmm. uh, which are often out of state and insurance doesn't want to pay for it. So they use their local lab and they're just, and they use one stool sample. And like I said, especially worms are very difficult to find. And I'm finding that a lot of people get back results that are negative. And so and now the doctor says you don't have a parasite and, and uh, you know, it's just all in your head or you have IBS and they just don't know. Uh, even gastroenterologists don't seem to know about these things. Uh, and if they do treat it, they're always going to treat it with pharmaceuticals. There's no choice. Mm-hmm. But they're, like I said, I think part of the problem is, is the labs they're using are just not equipped to find a lot of parasites. Yeah, you have to kind of use a, a special lab. And I know a lot of people out there who might be going to a medical doctor aren't actually getting the best labs because I've been on that that end of the spectrum. Um, well, different labs have their emphasis. And if they don't mm-hmm. use a lab that really emphasizes on uh, and has the experience with doing a parasites, uh, like I said, the, the test comes back negative, And, of course, now the person doesn't know what they have. And uh, or if they still believe they have parasites, you don't know what you have, and you can't treat them all the same. They do have different protocols for different parasites in order to treat them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that any type you're dealing with, any type of organism, animals, plants, or whatever, there is the they have to have waste. They have to get rid of their waste. And one of the things I, I wanted to know about is can the waste that these parasites produce upset the body in in some kind of way well sure uh you know I'm, a lot of those things are uh potentially toxic they get into the whole system and some of the chemicals probably even cross the blood brain barrier you know so there's a lot of symptoms you can have from any of these uh plus like you said the controlling of the diet so they kind of mm-hmm. take over uh and can, and can really cause a lot of problems yeah, I've heard, and I don't know if you can kind of second this this motion that parasites, even if you're taking supplements, sometimes they will even they will feed on your supplements. So they're actually robbing your body of the nutrition. How true? How true is that? It's supposedly that's true. Uh, there's certain parasites that will take your iron or your B12, and so you can be very deficient in those. Uh, and if you don't have those, then they, they they rob you of what you do have, and so now you're deficient, and so you start having symptoms due to just the deficiency of those vitamins because the parasites are taking them. Uh, and and especially like with bacteria, they tend to complete their life cycle with iron, and so I never give anybody iron unless I have a lab test showing they're deficient. But a lot of people take multiples and things that have iron in it and not realizing that you might be feeding the very critters that uh, you're trying to get rid of. Hmm. That's amazing that they would even want iron. <laughs> I guess everybody well, wants it's, it's a component, a part of their life cycle to complete right. it. And so, uh, you know, you got to remember they're small. They don't need a lot, but uh, whatever they need, they take. Yeah. I'm wondering how, if I'm a meat eater, obviously I'm a meat eater. Um, there may be some people <laughs> out there who are like me that eat meat that may be vegan or whatever. How often would it be advisable to do a parasite cleanse? Are you doing this once every three months, or how often? Well, it depends on your exposure. If you have animals, if you have dogs or cats that go outside, you know, a lot of dogs eat other dogs' poop, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, who knows what else they eat. You know, it might be even eating some grass out there or something. Uh, So the more, or you have dogs that go out and get into the water. So depending Mm -hmm. on your exposure makes a big difference. And depending on if you've had a history of parasites or you're being treated for parasites, some people really have no exposure to them and don't have them and don't have symptoms. So they certainly wouldn't need it. But if you're, if you're around animals or you live on a farm, uh, I get people who, you know, if you're tending the pigs and the chickens and stuff, you know, you might want to at least have one once a year. Uh, it's nice to be able to catch it before things start getting bad, but if you have symptoms, then you need to get tested. And I usually test people, you know, three to six months after treatment just to be sure we have, they're gone. Yeah. Two questions for you. Um, you mentioned living on a farm. I don't live on a farm, but I do have a dog. And I know a lot of people out there might have a dog or a household pet. Is there any risk with having having these pets for, any, for parasites? Well, again, it depends on what where where's your pet going. You know, is it going to a, a dog run? You know, like these a dog parks where there's lots of different dogs there and they're getting exposed to, you know, to things. Uh, I learned almost everything I know about parasites from my veterinarian. Hmm. 
vets know a lot about parasites. Medical doctors for humans know very little about parasites. But uh, your vet is often a good person to ask questions, actually. Mm -hmm. But depending, again, on where do you take your dog? What is the exposure? You know, what is it eating out there? Uh, Is your dog itching? Is it it dragging its butt on the carpet, you know? Do you see little things that look like rice coming out of the back end? So depending on, or if you're taking your dog in and your vet says, you know, your dog has worms. Or are you worming your dog every year or whatever? So those are all kinds of things to look at because if your dog does have that and you kiss your dog and stuff, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and it's just that easily transferable. I was going to ask you how how can you get these things? You mentioned We mentioned water. We talked about swimming in a lake. That's protozoa. But how can the average person pick up these, these parasites? Most of these parasites, a lot of them, or at least a lot of them, are fecal oral root. If you get feces or your dog gets feces on something and you touch it and you put your hands in your mouth, and these things, it's, it's kind of like how many angels on the head of a pen. It doesn't take much. These things are microscopic. And so how much feces does it take for, for that to get transferred? Not a lot. And people are really bad about washing their hands. I one time stood in a, a, a women's bathroom and just watched how many people washed their hands after going to the bathroom. I don't know what happens in the men's bathroom, but I tell you, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's a little discouraging. <laughs> well, you know what? I thought women were a little bit better than guys are. They and are, but the not... younger ones, not so good. It's the older women that tend to wash their hands. Mm. But some of the young ones, not so much. So, like I said, I don't know what's happening in the men's bathroom. But, uh, you know, these things can be transferred. And, and if you think you don't put your hands in your mouth a lot, they took a, a film of people while they were asleep to see how often they put their hands in their mouth. It was several times every night. Unbeknownst to them, while they're asleep, their hands actually go in their mouth. And so, uh, as careful as my, people might be, it's really important to wash your hands. What about um, sexual contact? If let's say I had parasites and my girlfriend didn't, am I going to pass those parasites to her? And if we, if I have parasites, is it important for her to do a parasite cleanse along with me, or husband, wife, whoever may be you? I would check both of you. Some people okay. have no symptoms. It is not unusual that you have a couple where one person has symptoms, the other one doesn't. The one that doesn't have symptoms might even have a worse uh, infestation. So you both have to be tested, and I would treat both of you. But remember, it's a fecal-oral route that a lot of these parasites go by. So if you happen to, uh, you know, have that kind of uh, uh, relationship where, you know, you're using the same towels, you're, you're touching each other without washing your hands, you know, and like I said, your hands go in your mouth. But that's usually how it's going to happen. Somehow those things usually have to get into your digestive tract. And how do they get in your digestive tract? Most of them get in there through your mouth. Wow. So <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, if you start dating someone, you, you, you're you out there in the dating realm and you've been single for a while, would you just say, hey, you need to go get a parasite cleanse before I even think about kissing you? <laughs> well, I, well, I might not do that, but I certainly take a medical history and see if they have any kind of irritable bowel, that they got digestive problems. The kind of parasites I deal with almost all cause digestive problems. And so I certainly want to know a little bit more information about their digestive health. <laughs> Wow, there's so much stuff out there now. You got to <laughs> Well, it out. is. And there's a, and and people get exposed to all kinds of things. So you really don't know. Uh but I've run into that on several occasions with couples whether they were married or boyfriend girlfriend or whatever is that uh one of them might be a lot worse and the other one was actually the carrier. Mm-hmm. With no symptoms whatsoever. Um, you mentioned symptoms a lot, and uh, most people, I don't want anybody out there who's listening to be like, oh, yeah, I got because sometimes you sit and you watch those commercials and you think you have everything that they're telling you you have. But <laughs> but what is some of the symptoms you might look for when you might have parasites to, to, to kind of telltale symptoms? I see everything from uh, 
just a digestive pain, you know, or like I said, constipation, or they hear rumbling, a lot of rumbling. It, it can be very vague. It can be where people have really pain, you know, in their stomach area or in their intestinal area. Um, some people have a lot of gas. But, you know, you were talking about enzymes. The problem is these symptoms can come from a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be a lack of enzymes and have a lot of gas or digestive problems. But if I see a lot of those kind of things are itching around the rectum or because uh, most of the time, most people really don't see the parasites come out. Some people think they do. But most of the time, it, you're not going to see anything because they're microscopic. So you're not going to see anything in the stool, but you might have the smell. Uh, I find that the smell can get pretty, especially with protozoan. Somebody told me that it smelled like somebody crawled up them and died, that it was so foul. <laughs> a lot of times there will be gas that they can't control. And uh, I had a college student that said she couldn't even go to class because she couldn't control the smell and the gas, and it was embarrassing. You know, it was just it was foul smelling. Yeah. So uh, there are organisms that do that kind of thing, but there's going to usually be some kind of digestive problem. Yeah, it's frequent diarrhea might be a symptom because you, you absolutely, start. but it's not unusual that it can be constipation. But diarrhea, usually I see diarrhea more often when it's at the beginning, when you first get, the body first gets hit with it because it's trying to expel the organism. But after mm-hmm. a while, it's like there's some kind of adaption going on, and the diarrhea might stop, and then it becomes constipated. Or it could be diarrhea the whole time. But that's definitely a clue if that's not something that you normally have. Uh, and in really bad cases, it can even be bloody diarrhea. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be something different, you know. It's going to be something different, and it's going to be something that's uh, is obvious if you're going to have symptoms at all. Yeah. Do these things kind of um, do they have their own cycle? Like meaning, um, I wake up in the morning at a certain time. Are they waking up with me? Or are they more active at night? How? What is what is their cycle? You know. Well, there's there's not a lot known. There's been some research on life cycles and things, but as far as timing, uh, there's like there's a rumor that they're worse that worms are worse around the time of the full moon because of the pulled gravity on the liquid in our bodies. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I tend to like to make sure people are medicating about that time of the month because uh, why not take advantage of the rumor? Maybe it is true. Hmm. So yes, they have cycles, but more likely. Uh, well, I'm looking for the cycle where they're going to let go of their eggs because that's when the labs are going to be able to pick up some of this, especially with worms. I mean, uh, so I'm not really sure on that question. Mm-hmm. Um, where these things can be, because we've mentioned a lot of digestive digestive issues, and most of the time people think because they're eating and the, the worms or the other parasites are feeding on that, we tend to get into oh, it's just digestion, but these worms or parasites don't stay just in your digestive tract, in the digestive area. They can migrate to other areas. Is that right? They can, and that's why, well, some of them can. Most Mm -hmm. of them complete their life cycle in the digestive tract, and that's mostly what I see. I mean, there are some nasty parasites that can get into other organs, but sometimes people almost force them by using a zapper. There's, you know, there's been a thing around for parasites called a zapper. Uh, If you push them outside the digestive tract so that they want to go somewhere else, then they're more, even more dangerous. If they're in the digestive tract, it's easier to treat it. It's easier to kill them than having to use medication that has to be so systemic that it has to go through other organs. But there are some uh, parasites that do uh, move and do uh, go through the the uh, lungs and then back down through the digestive tract. But most of the ones I treat uh, are digestive tract problems. Yeah. If they get in the lungs, and I saw where they can actually get into the brain as well, do those can those present problems for people for for oh, like sure. different ailments out there? Uh, and I'm just going to say something like asthma or depression or anything can a do you have know of any reports of anything like that happening for people who might have where they get lodged in those areas well it wasn't a parasite but it was a it was an overgrowth of bacteria which is my last book that i wrote was the bacteria menace and mm-hmm. people 
people, there are very few labs that actually test for what I call overgrowth bacteria. If you checked uh, people's white blood count, it would come back normal. It, it would not look like an infection. And so if you don't have a lab checking it, and the lab that I use, like I said, does parasites, it does yeast, it does overgrowth bacteria. But she had asthma. She was on an inhaler. It was getting worse and worse. And when I had her three-day stool sample came back, she had an overgrowth of staph in her intestinal system. And somehow that was translating into causing her to have these asthmatic attacks. Once I treated the staph, uh, the asthma was reduced by like 99%. Hmm. So even though it was a bacteria, not a parasite, it just goes to show that these things that lodge in one place certainly can cause problems somewhere else. But, yeah, it was really scary uh, how much steroids she was on and how much medication and corticosteroids and, and all of this due to an overgrowth of bacteria in her system. And these things can be checked uh, if the doctor knows to check it in the lab to do it with. Yeah. Um, getting the kids, we talked about pets um, I wanted to talk about kids because obviously when you when you look at um, my girlfriend is a teacher and you know it seems as though one kid will get sick then the next kid will get sick then the next kid will get sick and then she'll be sick and I'm wondering if that's the same thing that happens with parasites because uh, kids like to play in dirt kids like to touch other kids and I'm wondering if every parent out there might want to get a parasite cleanse in on their kids and themselves, but especially with the kids. I mean, do you work with kids when it comes to these these things? Well, I do. It's harder because it's harder to treat children um, because a lot of things, uh, these medications, especially natural stuff, are in capsules and things, and they're awfully bitter. And so it, it, they're not, yeah, it's a little harder. But the, the number one place where I see uh like pen worms or certain kinds of contamination is daycare because there's diapers being changed and there's feces that's being transmitted. Uh, people are putting a child on a changing table and, you know, and it doesn't take much to get uh, some feces uh, transferred from one child to the next because a lot of people, again, don't wash their hands between changing diapers and it gets under the fingernails, uh, it gets transmitted, but that's what I see. And part of the problem is a lot of the cheaper, especially pharmaceuticals, uh, that used to be used like for pinworms that were really actually uh, one of the best probably treatments, now have to be made by a compounding pharmacy. You can't get them anymore. A lot of the inexpensive pharmaceuticals, even for adults, you can't get them anymore. They've been replaced with very expensive uh, drugs. And often insurance won't pay for it. Yeah, is uh, ringworm is the that's a parasite, correct? It's a fungus. Fungus. Okay. Yeah, I used to have a yeah. bout with, with uh, ringworm because I played basketball and I was always in you know the, the locker room and that environment that's right. seems it seems to breed that. But yeah, I wanted to ask you if that wasn't so that's well, actually viruses a fungus. and there's fungus and there's uh-huh. all kinds of other things you know <laughs> lurking around. <laughs> uh, but it's a little different. I don't actually call them parasites per se, but if you're an athlete, yeah, you get all kinds of stuff, you know, uh, in your feet and uh, different places. And, and uh, uh, you know, so it's not unusual to see these things being transmitted. But I usually, when I go to a parasite, I usually think of worms or protozoan or flukes or mm-hmm. even sometimes yeast might be called that. Uh, but I don't usually call it a parasite. The definition gets a little vague, you know. Yeah. Um, I wanted to save the last segment of the show for solutions because obviously people out there, they're going to be looking for solutions. I know one of the things that I used before, and I think you mentioned this earlier, was uh, wormwood. How effective is that? Is that still working, or do you need to Well, what I usually recommend stronger? is, well, and again, you know, if you can find somebody to help you with the treatment better, some of these right. herbs are really actually quite toxic. And if you don't know what you're doing, uh, you may have as many symptoms from the treatment as you did from the parasite. So right. if you can get help, you would be much better off. But what I usually recommend, I used to do formulation for different supplement companies. And some of these formulas that have several different things in it, what they do is they can take a toxic herb and pair it with other herbs so that it diminishes the toxicity 
and so and it's easier on the body to take, and yet you accomplish the same thing. So one of the places in my book, I have like uh, some different supplements that I think are good ones. Uh, but at least, if nothing else, just looking at the ingredients, so you kind of have a better idea of if what you're buying at over the counter, if you're buying it over the counter, if it has kind of that same kind of formulation. Another thing I did in the book, I have a list or some chapter where I just go through each individual herb and tell you as much as I knew at the time about that herb. Mm-hmm. And so, like male ferns, some of these, like I said, are very toxic. I would not recommend. Uh, people taking them on their own, and I and I mentioned that, but it might be in a formulation where it's been uh, put in with other things so it isn't so toxic. Yeah. And then with children, and, of course, the dose is quite different, a lot less. Okay. Um, with this, if you're going to use any type of cleansing, and because obviously there are people out there who are going to listen to the show, and then they're going to go off and do the do it themselves. I know that. <laughs> I was well, and, and you're people. right. That's why I kind of make a few <laughs> little warnings. Yeah. 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 Um, how important is it? Because you mentioned the host and then you have the eggs. So how long are we going to do that cleansing to make sure that we get every flush, everything out of there? Well, it's hard to know. And different cleanses often have their own time. You know, wherever you're buying it might say do it for two weeks or something. Uh, What I usually recommend if you're going to do something like that is how long has it been since your symptoms went away? I would go certainly past the time of no symptoms. Let's say you did a cleanse for two weeks, but you're still having some symptoms, then you need to continue to do it as long as you can handle the cleanse. Uh, But if you're... Let's say your symptoms went away in a week, and now you've done a week and no symptoms. Well, you might stop and see if your symptoms come back. So it's really hard to know because you don't even know what you're treating. See, that's mm-hmm. the problem with a lot of parasite cleanses. Do you even know what the heck you have? Well, you don't. Mm-hmm. So you don't. You uh, don't. You know, so, so I don't mean again to sound vague, but it's not cut and dry, as you can tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It, I, I've had experience of uh, talking to people who dealt with parasites, and it's never really, really cut and dry. And uh, I would recommend, like you said, to work with somebody if you feel that you do have parasites, just to make sure you don't. They don't come back, and they can come back. Um, well, and again, it could be something else because I actually right. see overgrowth of bacteria more so than I see parasites. Hmm. And if you don't know that, you might be going through all of this thinking you have a parasite when, in fact, you have a bacteria. Is that like SIBO? SIBO? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's real big. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. And we might might mention what that is, but uh, that's kind of the new new, uh, thing on on the block is SIBO. Yeah, I had Dr. Seebecker. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with her. Oh, you with her. did? Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. yeah I had her on, and um, wow, that was two years ago. You probably just made me I, – I may need to reach out to her and get her back on just to see what's new with it. But I had her on um, maybe a year or two ago, and we did a really interesting show on SIBO. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with We've learned with a little that. bit more, but she's kind of our Pacific Northwest kind of expert on SIBO. Right. And if people don't know, that small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth, and uh, that seems to be, uh, I I can't tell you how many people who had no solution to their digestive problem until they were diagnosed with SIBO and treated, and now for the first time in years actually are getting some results because they thought they had parasites or they thought they had something else or they didn't know what they had because there was no test for SIBO until recently. Yeah, it's a it's a from what I know about it, and this was just talking to her years and years ago. It's it's a bear to treat. You got to really work with somebody to actually treat it. Well, until about a year ago, we really didn't have a natural solution. The pharmaceutical for that illness was running anywhere from uh, depending on the pharmacy from a thousand to sixteen hundred dollars for a two week uh, dose. Mm-hmm. And insurance was not paying for it because it had never been approved for SIBO, and so it, and some people had to take it more than one time. It was bad because we're going. How are we going to treat this? Even if we can prove that you have it, and so yeah. now there are uh, there's herbal supplements that have seemed to be pretty effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that has changed in the last year or so. Yeah. Um, my last question for you, and sorry, audience, we got off on SIBO, but. 
Well, it's hard not to talk about all these things because they all yeah. kind of interact, and you can have more than one of these things. So, Exactly. Um, we talked a little bit about diet and what the parasites eat, and obviously when you are – you work with someone or you eliminate the parasites, you kind of want to modify your diet. And uh, how would you go about modifying your diet? Obviously, I think you're going to kind of reduce your sugar. That's that's Everybody needs to do that. But what are some of the other changes that we're, we're going to make when it comes well, to that? Well, I, I take this as an opportunity to try to educate people in what would be a better diet for them. Yes. You know, a lot of people are dehydrated because they don't drink enough water. Uh, You get some blood types that uh, just don't have enough enzymes and hydrochloric acid, which is your first line of defense. Uh, If something's coming through your mouth and down to your stomach, we all get exposed to a lot of these organisms, but not everybody uh, ends up with them. And so if you have adequate digestive enzymes and adequate hydrochloric acid in your stomach, often that'll take care of things. Some things come in in a form that that doesn't happen, but a lot of things it would take care of. So I look at a lot of different things, uh, like the digestive enzyme, like what they're, uh, how much sugar they're eating, how little water they're drinking, and just generally uh, how they're uh, processing their food. Are they washing it? Uh, you know, uh, like we talked about before, it's like uh, how much, and most people really don't wash their food very well. I'm guilty so, of charge. Well, you're not the only one. So these are things that sometimes it's just a reminder to say, you know, you really need to uh, think about, and where do you eat out? I mean, you're eating a lot of sushi, you know, where it's really raw fish, and or especially food that's been sitting under uh, lights out, you know, in the restaurants where it's not being, or it's not being fixed by a sushi chef. A lot of uh, fish uh, have have worms in them, and unless it's been uh, flash frozen, the fish, it doesn't kill it. A lot of freezing, just regular freezing, does not kill parasites. So that's the kind of questions I ask. You know, so we really have to get in and talk to them not just about diet, but about their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because even if you got cured of it, you don't want to get reinfected. Once you've been through this, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, this is one time was plenty. I don't need to learn this, learn any more about this. And if you keep doing the same thing, there's a good chance that you'll just get contaminated again. Yeah, I think this is like one of those things that are ongoing. As as long as you're you're in your physical body, that you might have to do a parasite cleanse just because we come into contact with so many other people. Um, you're eating out, just all the things that you mentioned. So I do think that it's it's an ongoing thing as long as you are in this physical body you're <laughs> of this of well this and with the and with the sophistication of labs more and more because they're starting to do uh better testing for the antibodies or antigens of these organisms uh but if you can get tested to, you know and no test is 100 yeah. percent. but if you can get tested to know what you have then you can focus the treatment uh, much better otherwise it's just uh you know kind of russian roulette you don't know quite what you're treating you're hoping you're hoping. <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah. of people out there hoping, too. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, well, and, doc- and, and a parasite cleanse certainly isn't probably going to hurt most people or anything. I do usually recommend that maybe if they have colonics, uh, a colonic therapy in their area, to do that along with their treatment. I find that that helps a lot. It really increased my success rate. Wow. Yeah, I do, a co- I do an enema. I do coffee enemas. But I don't know. They don't get high that, enough. They, they just don't get high enough. Oh, okay. For it as well. I used to do colonics too. I haven't done one in a while. But um, that's a really good tip. Uh, Dr. Scott, um, it's been a pleasure interviewing you. Uh, hopefully, I'll have you back. I really wanted to talk to you about cell salts. And your book is called A Parasite Medicine. I think you mentioned it was out of print, but I did find some copies on Amazon that when people sell the old, you know, the older copies. Well, I got online today to do the same thing. I found it's ABE. I don't know if it's ABE books or A books. I found that they also had a lot of sources for used books, uh, sources on the book, because it is out of print. I'm hoping uh, – I've been just really busy, so I haven't had time to uh, rewrite it, because it really needs uh, – and I like to rewrite it. So I'm either going to do an e-book or find a new publisher or something, uh, but hopefully they can find some copies out there. Yeah, yeah. If you go to Amazon, for those out there who are listening, if you go to Amazon, I think there's quite a few copies that you can get that are used. And that's 
mainly if I get a book from Amazon, that's I I normally get it used. So and, and the most and of them come, come beautifully. like brand new. A lot of times they're just yeah. beautiful books, so that's not a problem. Yeah. yeah. So again, well, thank, thank you for, you for being, having me on, Darren. Yeah, thank you for being on, and hopefully again, um, I'm going to urge you to send me that book on sales salt because I'm interested I'll get it right in reading out that. To you. And um, we'll have you back on in another month or so. It's been really a pleasure interviewing you. Okay, thank you, Darren. All right, have a good evening, Dr. Sky. Bye. All right, bye. All right. Hopefully you learned a lot about parasites, a lot of things you can take out and, and use them. And by any means, I'm not one of those people who are immune to anything. I know that the, um, my diet, things that I'm doing, I might have parasites, and that's why I do do the parasite cleanse. If you want to take a look at my um, video on turpentine, I've been doing turpentine for a number of weeks now, and that helps with the parasites as well. And again, that's on my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and maybe type in my name, Darren McDuffie. Or if you can remember my handle, it's Fat Body BC. Fat is spelled with a PH. And Fat Body BC, like B, like boy, C, like Calvin. And you type that in and subscribe to my channel. And you can get that video on turpentine. And that's something that's really effective uh, when dealing with the parasites and also with Candida. She mentioned Candida as a yeast. So that helps with the candida. And that's really one of the reasons why I've been using that as well. Um, this is, I think, the last show of May because we got Memorial Day. I didn't schedule anybody for this Wednesday, but I think I'm going to have an interview rescheduled with uh, Diane Kayser. She has a summit that's going on right now called Heart to Happiness about depression and getting people happy, which I'm, I'm very big on. And I think we're supposed to record that interview uh, sometime this week, so that might be just a, a bonus episode that goes up or whatever, but um, we had to reschedule. We were supposed to do it last week, and she got a little bit under the weather, so we were going looking at rescheduling that, and that'll be up. But otherwise, um, the next show will be June 1st, which and that'll be Smart Fat with Dr. Stephen Macy or Massey. I'm not sure how I pronounced that last name. And we'll be talking about different fats that you can use because a lot of people are still out there not using fat. So we'll be talking about smart fats that you can use to put into your diet that help you gain your health or help your wellness evolve. So, again, next show will be June 1st. Enjoy your Memorial Day. I'm certainly going to enjoy mine. Hopefully I'll be able to catch up on uh, Captain America. I haven't seen that yet and dying to see that. And then I believe... Um, X-Men Apocalypse is coming out as well, which comes out on the 25th. So hopefully I'll be able to see that as well. If you have not guessed from Batman, I am a big superhero fan, big uh, the movies that are coming out now because they didn't have all the special effects when I was a kid. So now I'm like a kid going to the movie as an adult. But uh, again, see you June 1st. Same fat time, same fat channel. Peace and love, y'all. Good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.